This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So I just want to thank you for sharing him with us and for letting him drive the hundreds of miles across into sunny Wales and enjoy a, a better climate for a few hours every now and again and, and just strengthen and support us. We've really benefited from that relationship. So thank you, God First, for, for that relationship that you've got with us already. And I hope we get to build on that through the years. Um, also, it's been great just to get to know some of you. Christopher and Lorette, we've, we've just got to know a little bit over the last year, and, um, and you guys are a blessing. So yes, thank you. Yes. Thank you, church, for being as you are. And I, I just, I didn't get to say this early, but one of the great visions that Advance just kind of breathes out is a vision that's bigger than here. It's a vision that's bigger than where I'm at. It's a bigger vision for God's bigger kingdom. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that this morning as, um, as I think I'm starting off this series about praying with Paul, which is a privilege for me. Um, I'm passionate about prayer, though probably like a lot of you, struggle with it. I'm passionate about the kingdom of God, though often, probably like a lot of you, underestimate what God is able to do. And so I hope this morning we just get to correct that a little bit and see something more of who God is. There was a rugby game this morning. I don't know if any of you were aware of that. Yes. Anyone, um, and, and anyone recorded the Wales-France game and is planning to catch up with it later and doesn't want to know the score? You don't want to know. I'm not going to put you out. Of, there's one, and so I won't say anything. Just, just for you. Just for you. It was a great game, whatever, whatever way you want to take that. And it's all down to the wire, that's all I'm saying. Um, but there's another great game starting right now. And so I know there are some South Africans in the room. Just thank you for your commitment to the gospel. You could be at home watching the game and you're committed to Christ. And I love, I love that. And so to reward you, I'm going to give you regular updates through the course of the next half an hour. Just, I'm not... I'm not really. Oh, that would make it brilliant. Um, no, I'm not going to do that. But what if I told you this morning, what if I told you this morning that Switzerland had the greatest rugby team in the world? They just never signed up for the World Cup. They just never played against anyone outside of Switzerland. What, what do you say? Probably rubbish. What a stupid idea. Well, hey, what I want to say this morning is really simple. We're not going to dig deep into the, the book of Colossians today, which is where we're starting. We're going to get a big, broad sweep. But here's the thing. You laugh at Switzerland having an amazing rugby team and beating the All Blacks and competing with the best. But, but here's the reality. I sometimes think the church is a little bit like that. We're on the best team. We've got the, the mightiest name above us. The, the king who's leading us is all-conquering. Isn't he victorious? Powerful above all. And yet sometimes... For us as the church, we're a little bit like Switzerland would be if, if they were any good at rugby, which I, I don't know if they are. It's like we're hiding. We don't really understand how good the king we're serving is. Yeah, 
We don't really understand the power that, that he has and is able to show through us and in us and in our communities and contexts. And so this morning, I just want to excite you a little bit as you delve into this journey on prayer. And so we're going to be picking up from Colossians. I don't know how, you, how well you know this letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a place called Colossae. I'm not going to get massively deep into the background. But this morning, I know this. If you're willing, with a completely open heart and open hands, to say, God, what do you want me to pray? I mean, what, what do you really want my prayer life to look like? I genuinely believe that if you ask that question this morning, not only will it radically change your prayer life, but it has the power to change our world. And I don't think that's hyperbole. We pray as if we're Switzerland playing rugby. We're not. I mean, we're like the all blacks on their best day. Here's the thing. I don't know, I don't know what your average prayer looks like or sounds like. I don't know what your average prayer meeting looks like. I don't know what kind of prayers fill your life. But my guess, if it's anything like me and the people I know, it, it kind of sounds a little bit like this. God, thank you for my food. It's so good. God, give me a great day today. I mean, a brilliant, outstanding, the best day ever. Let my boss like me. Maybe even give me a pay rise. That'd be great. I'd love that. God, Help my Aunt Violet with her dodgy hip. God, this is the, the best one. God, give me a space in Asda today because it's just full and I, I desperately need that space. And we're praying like that and we're praying like we're Switzerland with a tiny little aim. We don't want to get to the World Cup and we don't want to win. Look, we're on the team that's already won and we should pray like it. So Paul in Colossians, his whole first chapter pretty much is prayer. I mean, he's thanking God for these Colossians. He's praying for them. And they are big, big prayers. He prays world-filling prayers, heart-changing prayers, Christ-exalting prayers. Here's Colossians. Colossians 1, we're going to read a few little bits. So let's read, first of all, 3 to 8. Colossians 1, 3 to 8. Paul's never been to Colossae, by the way. He doesn't know the congregation. He knows a couple of people there, but not many. He's got no need to pray for these guys whatsoever. He could just be praying for a parking space, but he doesn't. Why? Why does he stretch what he's praying for? Why does he lift up the horizons of his prayer? Why? Because he knows that's what the kingdom of God looks like. It's not a parochial backwater. It's not a feeble empire of ancient traditions. The kingdom of God is a mighty kingdom that is ever expanding. Yes. So when Paul prays, he gets that. Listen to this. Colossians 1, verse 3 to, um, 3 to 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he made known to us your love in the Spirit. 
As I said, we're not going to dig deep today. I want to get a, a big snapshot of, of how Paul prays, not teach you how you should pray or give you some prayer tips, but get a big vision. Here's the story. Paul right now is probably in prison. He, he's captive and he has just survived an ordeal of a journey. I mean, a mammoth journey. I don't know what you're like at the end of a journey. I, I guess on a long journey, I'm pretty grumpy and a little bit fed up. And I just want to be somewhere comfortable. If I'm going on holiday, and, and this is on a plane with comfy seats and free movies and someone who every hour brings you free drinks and food. And, and at the end of that, I'm pretty grumpy and selfish and inward and just thinking, I want to be in my hotel room right now. I don't want to be stuck on a plane with 200 people. Well, here's Paul. We just heard his prayer. In the next chapter, he says this, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and all who've not seen me face to face. Paul has just been on a crazy journey. He's literally just been shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. All sorts of crazy stuff has been going on, on a terrible, terrible journey. And at the end of his journey, what does he get for his fruit? A nice hotel room, prison. Paul's in prison at this moment. And I just think what he prays in that moment is so worth us considering. He's not praying, I'm an apostle, get me out of here. He's not. It's not his desire. He's not praying, God, do you remember that cool thing you did last time with the jail cell and the chains and the, all that? Do it again. He's, he's not. That's not the heartbeat of his prayer right now. He's praying bigger. He's got a bigger view of God's kingdom and what it can do. He believes that him stuck in a jail cell praying for these people he's never met on a Another part of the world entirely. He believes that there's power in that. Paul's desire is worldwide. Paul prays in a way that fills the world. And he believes that the gospel will fill the world. I wonder when you pray, do you believe the gospel can fill the world? Do you believe the kingdom of God is ever advancing right now? Paul does. So Paul's prayer is much bigger than himself. He's struggling in prayer and thought for churches across Europe. He loves them, though he's never met them. Passionate for them, though he's never been there. When you really ask, God, what do you want me to pray? I think God's going to answer that by saying, look, I want you to change the focus of your prayer entirely. Look, what I love about the way Paul prays here is this. His circumstances don't dictate what he believes God's going to do. His circumstances don't limit his faith. He might be constrained by walls and bars, but he knows the Spirit of God is bigger than that. He's capable of shattering far bigger walls that exist in the world around him. And I just want to encourage you today, as you think of praying bigger, of praying prayers that fill this world with the kingdom of God, And his power. Don't be dictated to by your circumstances. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in right now. Obviously none of you are in a prison like Paul was. But some of you might be feeling imprisoned right now by your circumstances. You might feel imprisoned by your job situation. By relationships. 
by sickness. I don't know, but don't let that dictate what God is able to do in the world around you. Don't let that limit the size of the prayers that you're praying this morning. Here's how Paul puts it in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Not if or that one time we prayed for you, but when we pray for you, which is regularly, we're thanking God for what he's doing in you and through you. What's Paul doing? Paul here is seeing out the Great Commission. Paul wants to see disciples made in all nations, but at the moment he's not in all nations. He's in Rome and he's stuck. But that doesn't limit what he can do stuck in this place. Here's the thing. Here's the thing and it's big. The call to make disciples of all nations is not just for the missionaries. It's not just for the missions prayer meetings. It's not just for leaders or apostolic type people. There's a calling on your life this morning to make disciples of all nations. That's a calling that is over your head right now, even as as I'm speaking. And you can be part of that without even getting a passport. Look, this morning God is calling you to pray bigger. He's calling you to pray wider. Do you know one of the most encouraging things I think I can ever experience as a church leader is when someone from outside of my context gets in touch and says, hey Tom, you know what? We're praying for you. We're praying for you every single day. It literally is one of the most life-giving things I think anyone could ever say to me. And and I'm just so grateful for the people who do. And and I want to say, look, Paul was a part of that movement of the kingdom of God, which was expanding, even out of a prison cell, strengthening churches in random parts of the world he'd never been. You can be a part of it from where you are, strengthening churches in places you've never been, even strengthening your brothers and sisters here. The kingdom of God is expanding, and you get to be a part of it this morning as you pray. By prayer, Paul becomes a part of this mighty work of God in Colossae and beyond. Paul's, it's, it's a beautiful vision. Paul is in prison, but he's praying for the church in Colossae. And they're praying and believing God for their city, and that's expanding way beyond Colossae. I, I just think this is what God does when you really pray with a big vision. It's expansive, explosive, beyond yourself. It's kind of like that parable Jesus told of the kingdom of God. Remember, he said it's like the smallest seed. It gets planted and it grows. And its branches become habitats for birds and and, and all of that. That's what the kingdom of God does. That's what happens when we pray big prayers. Even when we're in a small place. Well, look, I know our time's going to disappear, but this is why I think Paul and the Colossians, I don't think their prayer meetings were full of small prayers about small things. Now, I, I, don't, I don't want to minimize the real issues we face in life, and I've no doubt that those filled their prayer times as well, but that was, doesn't seem to be the focus here. And Paul writes to these Colossians, he's saying, look, guys, I, I pray you don't have any suffering or any difficulties in life. He doesn't pray that. He doesn't pray that at all. His prayer is big. God, send your gospel across this world as you are doing. Verse 6, did you see that description? The gospel has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you also since the day you heard it 
and understood it. This is the kingdom of God that Paul is believing in right now. Expanding across the world, expanding in their own church, growing, growing, growing. Paul's prayers are undergirded by the belief that the kingdom of God expands. And I think, you know, I think as well, when the Lord taught his disciples to pray, isn't that at the heart of it? Thy kingdom come. Isn't that a prayer to say, God, we believe your mighty kingdom in heaven is going to come here on earth and expand. It's going to touch the darkness of this world around us. This is what prayer is all about, isn't it? God, thy kingdom come. Your will be done. And so I want to encourage you this morning, pray big. Pray big prayers for the expanding kingdom around this world. Be a part of this movement through prayer. And don't be defeatist in it. This is, I I don't know what it's like here in Cheltenham. You guys seem to have a real zing about you. But in Wales, because of the way things have gone over the last 50 years, when you pray with some people who have just struggled and struggled and struggled for the last 50 years and just seen the church decline, you hear these prayers which are just so defeatist. They're, They're so low and dark and hopeless. Just praying things like, God, things are so hard right now. Nothing's ever going to change. Just keep us faithful to the end when the doors close. It's that, that kind of prayer. That's not the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. We can be real but not defeatist because we're part of something that is far bigger and the name that we worship and honour is victorious. Let me move on. Second um, section I want to read from is 9 to 14. So Paul's just giving thanks for what God's doing all around the world, and he's being part of that. And then he prays this prayer that is a life-filling prayer. And so from the day we heard, verse 9, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption of sins, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that great? I kind of feel I don't need to say anything this morning. Paul prays for these guys. God strengthen them and make their works fruitful. I want you to see Paul's hunger in prayer here. It's not wrong to be hungry for yourself and for others and for your church. It, it really isn't. This isn't like that moment at the end of a meal where like thirds has been called. And you're sitting there, maybe this is just me, you're sitting there awkwardly thinking, (laughs) don't judge me, sitting there awkwardly thinking, do I I go up for thirds or is that going to look really rude and gluttonous right now? And then you kind of cast all caution to the wind and go anyway. This isn't that moment when we come back to God again and again and say, God, we just want more of you and we want more of your power. That is a good thing and God delights in it. He wants us to keep coming back to the table for more. And you just get the sense when you read these words, Paul's got no inhibitions as far as his faith for what God is able to do in these guys' lives. Not at all. I wonder when you pray for yourself and for your family around you right now, 
Do you have inhibitions in your prayer? Do you kind of pray once and say, oh God, just deal with that issue or help us to be more loving and then leave it there? Paul doesn't seem to be so quick to give up. So, so he says, from the day we heard that your faith is growing and expanding, since then, since then we've stopped praying for you because you've got quite enough. No, he doesn't. You guys, you're doing really well. He's saying the kingdom of God is explosive amongst you, and we're just asking for more and more and more. We're asking that you get filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, filled with all power, so that you walk in a manner that is worthy. I mean, stuff is going on in Colossae, which is the kind of stuff I, I envy for us back in Porthcourt. I just pray, God, do that now. Let your word go forth in such a way that it impacts our surrounding areas. And Paul says, no, look, God's doing amazing things, but this is the kingdom of God that you're in. This is the team of Jesus Christ that you're part of. There are no limits. So let's keep praying, shall we, guys? Let's strengthen you with all power through prayer, according to his glorious might. And then he goes on this little digression just to indicate who this one is that we're talking about. He's the one who's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's the one who's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, our father and the son. That's the team we're part of. So when Paul says, God's doing incredible things, but let's see more strength, he can only pray that prayer because he knows the kingdom that he's part of. There's this incredible danger of growing safe and content as Christians and as the church. It's the battle we're all facing. It's that feeling of kind of feeling like we've reached our destination. You know that, I I apologize for another plane illustration. I think it's the rain we've had for the last week. It just hasn't stopped in Wales. Um, So I'm thinking planes. But it's that moment when you, you land And you get off the plane, you pick up your suitcase, you crack it open at your hotel or your room or whatever, and you pull out the swimming shorts, pull them on, get on the sunglasses, find the sun lounger, lie down. Stress of the journey is over, let's relax. We're on holiday. Let me say that, let me say this. That way of thinking has destroyed the church in the past. It really has. In Wales... At the start of the 20th century, you probably know, there was a massive world-impacting revival, 1904-1905. And it was destroyed by that way of thinking. A revival that began with passionate prayer, crying out to God, send your spirit, ended as the plane of revival landed at the airport, went through the check-in desk, found a nice hotel and lay down on a sunbed called, it's okay, you can stop praying now. God's done the great stuff. Just sit easy. Do you see Paul's hunger? Guys, I'm just praying you get filled. I'm praying you walk in a manner that is worthy of him. I pray that you're pleasing to him and you're increasing and you're strengthened with might and all this is being poured into you. I'm not stopping from praying this thing for you. See, Paul can pray for the kingdom out there, expanding across the land, and he can pray for the kingdom in here, expanding in every good work and faith and hope and love. 
And it's interesting that the comment he makes about this church is that he's heard of their faith in Christ and their love that they have for the saints. He looks at them and he just sees this awesome combination. They believe Jesus Christ and they take him at his word. And they love each other. In a way that's free from gossip. Free from destructive grumbling and moaning about each other. Man, grace has transformed this church. And I love it. I want to move on then. Paul is crying out, God, let's see the kingdom expanding across this continent, across this world. And he's crying out, God, let's see the kingdom expanding in the power you show in the life of individual believers. But then he gets to this last bit, which is possibly just one of the most awesome bits in the whole Bible. In verse 15, it's, it's, some people call it the Colossian hymn. They think it was a song that people used to sing all about Jesus. And it says this, verse 15. I'll read to 23. This is part of Paul's digression, by the way. Remember, he had this little digression about who Jesus is and what he's done through taking us from darkness to the kingdom of light. This is kind of an extended part of this. Paul's just getting carried away, talking about the object of our faith, the king of our kingdom. He says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach um, if Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Wow. I I feel whatever I'm going to say doesn't do justice to what Paul has written there. But do you get what Paul is, is saying here? This is the whole point he's making. God is doing remarkable things across the world. God will do remarkable things in your life. Why? Because this is our king. This is the team we're on. And so church, stop pretending you're Switzerland at the Rugby World Cup. Put on your kit and come out fighting for the king whom you serve. Do you get it? Paul's saying he, this king, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. And then later, all the fullness of God dwells in him. And he's not saying there Jesus looks a bit like God and God has come to live in him. His whole point is when you look at Jesus Christ, you're looking at the face of God. That's his whole message. It means every bit of him is divine. And everything was made by him. 
And every molecule, every atom, every proton, every neutron was all created by his word. And every spiritual power, whether good or evil, every angelic being and every demonic being was all made, Paul says, for him and through him. And everything in all of existence holds together in him. It's like this vision, Paul's seeing Jesus and he's saying, guys, if if Jesus just for a moment stopped holding all things together, it would be like reality would be shattered. And every molecule and atom would cease to hold together. Paul says, this is our king. And this is our kingdom. Is it any wonder it should be expanding? You get the point? Our version of Jesus is way too small. We're still battling this image of a frail white guy in a dress. We are. And Paul's like, you see this Jesus, you're on your face on the floor. Because he makes everything, sustains everything, creates everything. He's eternal, has no beginning, is God. You don't forget him when you see him. And he's all that. And Paul says, he's the reconciler of distant, broken, guilty sinners through his shed blood. And you get to this point in the hymn where you're like, what, the one who created everything? Sheds his blood for everything? Are you mad? I want to finish. And I want to finish by just centering on this little phrase he adds to the description. He's the creator of all things, made all things, was before all things. And see this in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. And I want to say this morning, that is good news for your prayer life. That is good news for the kinds of prayer you pray. And if this morning you're saying, God, how should I pray? What should I be praying for? This will motivate you and inspire you to pray big prayers. He's the head of the church. Not just the king of the kingdom, but the head of the church. And that's not like the queen is the head of the Church of England, or the pope is the head of Catholicism, or even Donald Trump is the head of the United States. In Paul's mind, this is like your head is intrinsic to your body. When Paul says, this one who was and always will be God, who created everything by his breath and spoke everything into existence and right now holds every fiber of reality together, Paul now says, this one is intrinsically connected to you. Connected to the body of Christ. Paul's going to say a little bit later in this book that the whole body is nourished and knit together as it holds fast to the head. And here's the significant bit. And when it is connected to the head, it grows. Like the head brings life to the whole body. And I want to say to you this morning, as you lift up the horizons of your prayers and start to pray bigger prayers for our world, As you lift up the horizons of your prayers for yourselves and for this church and for God's power and wisdom and knowledge and holiness to be shown through you. As you do all of that, you are connecting yourself to a king of a mighty kingdom that is ever expanding. 
the head of a body who is always giving life and is utterly committed to that which he has joined himself to for all eternity. So you get where Paul's going. He's saying, uh, he's saying this kingdom is going to change the world. And he's going to change our hearts. How do I know that? Paul, how do you know that? Paul's answer is because I've seen the head. I've seen the king and I know what he's like. I know he's going to be the, the guy who leads this team into the most incredible victory through his victory. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.